The following episode contains major plot points of movies. A spoiler warning is advised. This episode also contains topics that may be disturbing for some viewers, so viewer discretion is also advised. I love you, Lily. Oh, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. How's it going today? And today we have a fun one that we're going to be discussing with you. But before we do that, I do have an announcement that we actually did make it official that my band Grease Creepers will be playing The Hungerford on October 6th. It's a nice little like Halloween get together that all the little shops in this little like um, brick building kind of like get together every year and do the first Friday of every month. Yeah, the Hungerford is an old industrial building in downtown Rochester, and mm-hmm. over the years it's changed hands. And but the Hungerford building now is a place where artists and vendors can go and rent out spaces to yeah, you could sell probably, their wares. Yeah, and you could probably go thrift shopping too and they got some good stuff in there. So Andrew who usually uh who has a shop in there, he usually is the one that does the uh the Vertex garage sale. Once every couple months he does uh, like twice a year I think he does the Vertex garage sale. Yeah, I think there's one coming up in September. Yeah. Which you still haven't given me the form for that. But. Well, you have to go online, honey, so... I don't know where online. He said you would show me, and you still have not showed me. I will show you later. Okay. Anyway. So, anyway. Besides the point, there isn't really anything newsworthy, like, newsworthy to share. Mm-hmm. I mean, so far we've talked... kind of peaceful. <laughs> so far we're still up to date with the whole strike thing. Nothing new has happened yet. As we said before, A24 is the only American independent production company that has been able to meet the demands of SAG-AFTRA strikers. And At least they're being civil about it. So, well, they're willing to work. Well, willing to negotiate, yes. Yeah, they're willing to work with the union and they're willing to work with people. And they should. And that's great. And I know there were a couple of rallies... This week, or over the past two weeks, there was one, I believe, in L.A. at the Netflix headquarters. Mm. And there was even with a lot of people from the horror industry. So people like Barbara Crampton. I can never remember her name, but she is the girl who directed the Living with Chucky documentary. Uh, her dad was one of the puppeteers in the yeah, child's play. Yeah, I forgot what her name is. Yeah, I can't remember either, but she was there... James mm. Agenice and Chelsea, Rebecca from Dead Meat Podcast were also down there mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So it's it's still ongoing. We haven't really heard any new developments yet. But it's a, it's a time right now. Like, all yeah. I will say, like, we also know, too, that L.A. is getting hit uh, weather-wise. With what? So... <laughs> What do you mean weather-wise? you got to explain to the audience. Well, I'm going to explain to you because you're looking at me like, what weather? Yeah, California like, doesn't get weather. Well, they, they do. They get hot, hot-ass weather, but yeah, depending. Yes. California, for the most part, is sunny in certain parts. I mean, the, I feel like the more north up you get in California, the more it starts to get a little colder and chillier. And that's even like where they have a lot of their ski slopes. Yeah, they got a lot more time. snow, yeah. Yeah, up in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. But they rarely ever get rain. They do oftentimes do get earthquakes, and I think Hurricane Hillary is making its way over to California soon. There's a hurricane named Hillary? Yeah, there's a hurricane named Hillary heading towards the southwest region of the continent. The point is, is that 
to all of our California friends of the podcast, oh, we, we hope you all are doing okay. We hope right. you're faring the weather that's about to hit you and staying safe. Is there anything else you want to share, though, before we talk about this week's topic? Um, not really. I mean, we should probably get down to the topic in hand here. Oh, didn't you also want to talk about our reading time together? What? You don't like our reading time? I do. <laughs> don't sound like that, you weirdo. You don't like our reading time? You don't like our reading time together? What the fuck? No, I mean, it's not that. It's just, why you gotta make it weird? Stop <laughs> <laughs> making things weird, lady. Uh, we we have a reading time where she uh, nestled me down to sleep and uh, and she reads to me. Now you're making it weird. <laughs> no. So what you I, like it. I wanted to do something that Colin and I can enjoy together. I like to read and Colin says he likes to read, but he doesn't often read. I'm sorry. I, my ADHD ruins it for me because I want to sit down and read, but my ADHD is all over the place. Well, I figured it would be a fun way. So I thought it would be a fun thing for us to do together as a couple. If we took an hour of our day, and preferably we do this every night before we go to bed for the past week now, where I would grab a book and I would read to Colin for an hour before bed. This way I get to read and he gets to read something with me or at least listen to the story. You're more of an audiobook type of guy. Yeah. I do like audiobooks. I do I do want to try Audible. I heard there's good things about it. But Well, uh, it's like Amazon Kindle or mm. Nook for Barnes & Noble members. <laughs> no, no, Nook. But the point is, is that you're somebody who likes to take in stories that are being read to them. You don't have, like you said, you don't have the time to be able to sit and read. But if you're doing something like chores or driving or just sitting in your office quietly working you can put something on i do to have somebody read to you a book and you can still take it in and listen it's like how i am with podcasts and i actually been listening to podcasts too as i'm driving because i don't know what it is but i don't know if i'm getting bored with music but it's just like i want to try different things and so i listen to podcasts too and i've been listening lately to the freddie prince jr's that was pretty scary podcast yeah the freddie prince jr and so fucking good yeah it's fun like i like and we had talked a little bit about them before but yeah and i was i was just listening to their new episode too where they were talking about evil dead oh yeah so good it's a fun podcast and i like it so good it, you get the best of both worlds in the sense where you have the perspective of movies like that taken in from an actor's perspective and then from a director's perspective. Yeah. And and also with Freddie Prince Jr., he has all these really cool stories about people who like are in some of these movies. Like the first movie they talk about is I Know What You Did Last Summer, which is a movie he started. Yeah. So he talks about his time working on the movie. And then when they talked about Scream, he talked about the time he auditioned for the role of Billy Loomis, mm-hmm. which he didn't get. And He's not evil enough, I don't feel like. But he tried, though. He really did. And then from that audition is how he got the role from I Know What You Did Last Summer, which I thought was pretty That's interesting. That's a good trade-off, I think. It's a good, like, coming, well, it comes full circle kind of story. Isn't, I don't know. I was but, gonna, I'm not trying to be mean, but isn't I Know What You Did Last Summer like the... Uh, like the generic brand of like Scream, you know how there's like Coke and then there's Pepsi. Like mm-hmm. Scream is Coke, and I know what you did last summer is Pepsi. Yeah, but to be fair though, Pepsi tastes better than cola. Cola is so much fucking better. Don't argue yeah. with me, especially I with am... alcohol. Don't give me that crap. It's not alcohol. No, it's co- soda. no, 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 no. It goes good with alcohol. That's what I said. You said with 
You no, know what? Never mind. No, it goes good with alcohol. Anyway. With alcohol. The oh point my god, is, this woman. The point is, <laughs> that was pretty scary is a good podcast. We've been listening to it. And I'm still a lot. and I'm still waiting for Freddie to talk about Lost Boys. I don't think he's so, ever going to. So any day now, that would be great. Mm. Anyway. It's gonna happen. We we've already talked about Lost Boys on this show. I'm done talking about Lost Boys. I'm never done talking and about Lost Boys. It's we, never good. It's we never can't even talk about Lost Boys right now, so shut up. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, with that being said. Well, speaking of kids, our next thing that we're going to talk about is the movie that has kids in it. Well, Wait, you know. is it? Yeah, oh, they're a bunch of kids. They're a bunch not, of well, young, not really. They're a bunch of young men and women. You know, they're like coming out of their teens. They're young adults, but they're not like kid kids. Like, I know that, but they're young adults anyway. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about Green Room today, which was an yes. A24 distributed movie. Probably the only really good A24 movie that came out really, honestly. <sighs> you would think that, but I'm I'm going to get into a little bit later why. I like the movie. Don't get me wrong. The movie was pretty good. What's your problem it, with it? Mm. It was more of a thriller to me than, than a, a horror, horror film. Yeah. It does seem more of a thriller. Yeah, because it's not... Like, don't get me wrong. There were certain aspects of the movie, which I should probably drop a trigger warning right now before we get into it. Parts of the movie contain racism and the skinhead movement, which are a big part of the plot. It may not be a good episode for you to listen to. How do you feel about the movie? I love the movie. The movie's great. I mean, it's got a good... Cast? Yeah. Got a good cast. It's got a good premise. Mm -hmm. Got good music in it. And it's got great killings. And Patrick Stewart is just amazing at his character. That he's just so evil. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes him great. Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see Patrick Stewart in a role like this. So, yeah, because when you told me that Patrick Stewart was in it, I'm like, really? I'm like, who does he play? And you told me that he plays essentially the leader of this skinhead group. And I was like, really? Mm-hmm. Like, that that really threw me off. So I was intrigued already to watch it because I, I do. upon doing my research, this is actually one of Anton Yelchin's last theatrical roles before his death. In 2016. Yes. So, it's a very interesting concept. And, I mean, we have talked about movies with people who have since passed on or have passed away shortly after the releasing of these movies. And it's always so intriguing, you know, like, to hear. And they actually released a documentary for Anton Yelchin just after his death, too. Mm Mm-hmm. They did the same thing with Heath Ledger, too, after his passing. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, they had enough footage, and they've been both been in enough movies for actually for people to talk about their legacy. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right, so shall we get into the movie, then? Yep. All right, so like I said, Trigger Warren's been put out. Do with that what you will. So The Green Room was released on April 15, 2016, with a runtime of an hour and 35 minutes, and was written and directed by Jeremy Salnier. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Just pronounce it the best you can. It was produced by Broad Green Pictures and Film Science, and like I said, it was distributed by A24. So this is where I start to get a little uncertain now at times when it comes with movies, especially regarding the strike. Like I said, we have our directors, we have our production companies or our producers, and then we have our distributors. So distributors are essentially people who help 
market and advertise. So this was marketed and advertised by people of age 24, which is why their name has a title to it. So the writer and director, Jeremy Salnier, wanted to make this movie partially be because as his career advanced, he knew he would not be offered the chance to make a movie as ultra-violent and bleak as Green Room, and that no novice filmmaker would be given the chance to direct it either. He felt that after the success of Blue Ruin in 2013, the time was right to take on a movie as demanding as this one. Saul Nier was partially inspired Inspired to make this movie by the movie Straw Dogs in 1971. Mm-hmm. So that kind of like gives you an idea of where we're going with this. The thing about the director when I was doing my research and just and just that opening alone kind of gave me a pretty good idea of what we're going to be dealing with here as a writer and director. There are moments throughout my research where he is just so sure of himself that it's almost condescending and then there are moments where he is so unsure of himself it's almost i don't want to say cringe but i know there's a better word for it like how how would you describe it when you meet somebody who's like so unsure of themselves it's like they trip over themselves and their social awkwardness what would you call that socially awkward we'll call them socially awkward then because i can't think of another word it's going to come to me later off the record and i'm gonna be like that's it that's the word i'm thinking of and so it stars Patrick Stewart as Darcy Banker, Anton Yelchin as Pat, Imogen Poots as Amber, Aaliyah Shawkat as Sam, Joe Cole as Reese, Mark Weber as Daniel, and Macon Blair as Gabe. And Aaliyah Shawkat, I found out, also did another movie about music. She was in the movie The Runaways in 2010. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Anton Yelchin's last theatrical movie to be released before his death on June 19th, 2016. Now, I did say that this release was in April 15th of 2016. That was a U.S. release. Its initial release was a year prior, in 2015. And Mark Weber, who played the role of Daniel, also played a punk rock band member in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World in 2010. Yeah, I would say, yeah, kind of punk rock indie band yeah yeah very much so like a like a garage rock type of band yeah but when i read that i was like fucking scott pilgrim i hate that movie so much it's a great movie i love that movie fuck scott pilgrim okay he's i'm not gonna get into it because again it's not that kind of podcast just know that i don't like scott pilgrim versus the world anyway While the tracks were recorded separately from the stage performances, the cast actually performed their own songs. Anton Yelchin and Aaliyah Shawkat already knew how to play their instruments, but according to Jeremy Salnier, Salnier? Callum Turner had no experience with any sort of music, and Joe Cole also learned to play drums specifically for this movie. And when I first watched this, I recognized Joe Cole. He is one of the Shelby Brothers in Peaky Blinders. Patrick Stewart's first day on set was Salnier's or Salnier's least favorite because he left, quote, this amazing actor sitting there, end quote, while he spent time on insert shots and risked losing the light. The next morning, we had a very nice chat and I apologize for my inefficiency. So again, we have two very different sides 
of one coin. There's a there's a sign that's so sure of himself that it's almost condescending. And then there's a side who's so unsure of himself that he's willing to say that he's ineffective. So wait, so or he inefficient. A, did he say he had a hard time talking with Patrick on the first day of set? No, it's just he spent a lot of his he spent a lot of Patrick Stewart's first day on set doing insert shots because he was oh. trying to get the right lighting for that first day of shooting. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Salnir and Macon Blair have been best friends for years, and Blair was the lead in Blue Ruin, but the director didn't see him as belonging in this skinhead world. Blair auditioned just like everyone else and ultimately convinced Salnir he could be this character of Gabe, the neo-Nazi. The director said, quote, My best buddy was not given a handout. He had to go get neo-Nazi tattoos from the internet, some temporary tattoos, and the vendor initially refused his request so he had to prove he was auditioning for my movie. It's always interesting to see when people like get so committed to a role that they will do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, no, I just, yeah, no, I love that they uh, had everything in this. They incorporate a lot of authentic aspects to it to what? make this seem exactly, and believable. I think, and I think that's what I liked about this. It's the realism. Mm-hmm. It's the authenticity, the authenticness, and the realism, and the vulnerableness of the characters, and mm-hmm. I think that's what what made this movie so great. Yeah, and I believe it's the opening scene. Is it the opening scene where they wake up in their van, they're parked in a cornfield? I think so. Or is it somewhere during the opening act of it? Somewhere I forgot the opening. Because that was apparently the director's favorite scene. The shot they grew that entire cornfield themselves. Really? Yeah, they they borrowed the plot. They built a cornfield on it. They planted corn in the ground. But the time of year they planted it, they missed the summer harvest. So they were shooting this in fall. And they still managed to grow corn, which is oh, amazing. They got lucky then. Yeah. That's awesome. So to get into the plot, Pat, Sam, Reese, and Tiger of DC punk band The Ain't Rights, which... I'm sorry, but that's like the weirdest band name I've ever heard. The Ain't Rights? No, nah, I've heard worse. Oh, no, not worse. I've heard I've heard Stranger. Oh my god, there was there was a band I think I remember. They were called the Half Knots, and uh, the ha- the Half or Have? No, the oh they were called the Have Knots. The Have Knots. I think Have Knots. Yeah, they're from Boston. They were uh, they were a street punk band from over there. Okay, okay. Well, this yeah. is DC, so it's not quite in that ballpark, but. A little bit. Oh, there was another band that was called the Fuck Ups, but their name was very controversial, so they called themselves the F Ups. <laughs> Sounds so fitting. Anyway, <laughs> the Eight Rights are traveling the Pacific Northwest. After one of their gigs is canceled, a local radio host suggests they perform at a show in a rural area. Rural? Rural, yeah. Rural? Pretend to be a dog and say royal, rural. <laughs> Outside Portland through his cousin Daniel. Upon arriving at the venue, they realize it's a neo-Nazi skinhead bar and they're opening for a NSBDM band, Cowcatcher. All one word, by the way. <laughs> Not cow catcher. Cowcatcher. Cowcatcher. Yeah, just say it like that. Cowcatcher. Yep. It would be super awkward if my band pulled up to a venue and we had to play a place like that. Mm-hmm. I would totally be like, can we get out of here? Like, I don't want to play. They go on with the show anyway. 
And during their set, Pat notes two young women, Emily and Amber, looking disturbed and being shepherded out of sight. And I want to go into a few fun facts before I get into the next part of the movie. But the first song that the band plays at the Skinhead Club is a cover of the Dead Kennedy songs, Nazi Punk's Fuck Off. Oh, shit. I would say, you recognize that song, right, when they played it? I know, yeah, I know all of Dead Kennedy's, like, songs, so I did recognize when that song came on. Yeah, because I think they were using that song as, like, a tactic to get off the stage fast because they did not want to be there. That's even better. I would have done that. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a story that Pat tells, I believe, in the beginning, but the paintball story Pat tells is a real experience Jeremy Saulnier had. Rick Spears is a real person who did as said in the story. So I thought that was interesting. Because mm-hmm. the director really incorporated a lot of his own personal experiences of being in a band and traveling and doing all this weird stuff. Wait, was his... he in a punk band? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. I'm yeah, gonna, very, I'm look this up then. Various character traits and beats were culled from real life events from Solnir's or his friends past as a punk music fan and performer. Waking up in a cornfield is only the first of many to make the cut here. He is careful to point out that he never siphoned, is that how you pronounce it? Siphoned, yeah. Siphoned gas from strangers' cars, though. Any thoughts? No, this is exciting. Keep going. I know, because <laughs> when, I, when I suggested to Colin, I was like, we were going to do one movie, but when I did my research and I found that it was distributed by AMPTP affiliate, I was like, well, let's hold off on this a little longer. Let's do something different. And so I suggested Green Room. Yeah. And Colin was on board with it because everything about this, well, everything with the exception of the skinhead movement is all up Colin's alley. Yeah. It's horror. It's got indie punk no, well, it's bands. Got, well, it's got punk rock bands. It's got punk rock bands in this one. It's got punk bands in this one. It's got stabbings. It's got horror. There's thrills in it. There's like a lot of fucked up shit. And Patrick and Patrick Stewart. I almost said Patrick Swayze. Patrick Stewart and Anton Yelchin, who's one of and, your favorite yep, and I love, actors. I love Anton Yelchin. To continue, after the set, Pat goes back to the bar's green room to grab Sam's cell phone where he discovers Amber and the members of Cowcatcher standing over Emily's body, who was murdered by Worm. And that's W-E-R-M. <laughs> Which I think is weird, but okay. Well, yeah. Pat attempts to call the police as he flees, but is caught along with the others. And bar employees Gabe and Big Justin contain them in the green room with Amber. Gabe pays a young skinhead to stab another to create a cover story for the police who respond to Pat's call. He consults with the bar's owner, Darcy, who decides all witnesses need to be killed. He arranges for Cowcatcher to be given poison heroin, while more skinheads assemble the bar, waiting until nightfall to kill the band and Amber. So they're killing everybody. They're killing everybody. They killed Cowcatcher. They're killing Ain't Rights. They're killing Amber. Everybody's dying. Yeah. But not yet. <laughs> Pretty much. So the scene where Justin guards the door and essentially warns the band members that they're not action heroes and shouldn't attempt to charge him, quote, is one of the few moments we had where I indulged a movie speech, end quote, Solnir said. Where he indulged a movie speech. 
No. Indulged. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking like Mike Flanagan monologues here. He just was giving these guys like a warning. Like, don't be heroes. Don't come charging at me. Like, there's nothing like movie speechy about it. Yeah. I think Solnir needs to calm the fuck down. But okay. <laughs> the conversation through the door between Pat and Darcy was shot with two cameras. One on either side of the door. Mm. To fully capture both actors... But Solnir knew he'd hardly be using any footage of Stewart. He wanted the character to trump Stewart's star power, but more than that, he wanted the weight of the character to be seen and felt through the band members. And I will give him credit. I think that's a pretty good way of doing it because, yeah, you have the two different perspectives so that the audience can see what's on the outside of the door. But if you really want to amp up the thrill and the suspense... Amp up the ante, yeah. It would be best to keep that POV mostly from within the green room. So that way we, along with the band, only know as much as they know about what's going on in the situation. Because we don't see... We don't see Darcy talking to Gabe to go get people to take care of this, you know? So... It's a really interesting moment, and I will give him credit there that that is a pretty good direction to go with. To continue, the band overpowers Big Justin and holds him hostage. Taking his pistol and a box cutter from his pocket, they negotiate through the door with Darcy, who asks them to surrender the pistol. Pat agrees on the condition that they keep the bullets. But when he opens the door, the men attempt to force their way in while slashing at his arm. They manage to close the door, but Pat loses the gun and is seriously injured. Big Justin attempts to break free, leading Reese to choke him unconscious. Amber slashes Big Justin's stomach open with the box cutter. That's a pretty intense scene. I remember we watched it, and when they slash at Pat's arm, you kind of, like, jumped well, because I hate box cutters. Yeah. And I, oh, it's like, ugh. They just always seem like they're just one of those sneakable weapons. Like, you don't think they'd be a weapon, but they just don't look like it at first. And then you could just pop it out of nowhere and just start slashing someone with it. It just, yeah, like shit like that I never liked. I never liked box cutters and I never liked razor blades and like all that stuff because they're just like so uncomfortable, especially if you get one in you. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like it would hurt so much. Yeah, even the way you're like holding yourself right now, you're like, stop on it! Edge. <laughs> don't tell people how I am. Don't tell people. Don't tell people what I look like. Yeah, because like this is how you get sometimes when a character in a movie gets a really bad injury, and you're like, mm, like you like you get like that sometimes. And I I'm get like, like, are you okay? I get like that when I see videos of people like injuring themselves, whether they injured themselves skateboarding or they mm-hmm. injured themselves working out. Or even that scene from the movie Zombie when that one zombie was putting that one girl's eye through that fucking oh, yeah. wood sharp sharp thingy. Yes, and from Zombie 2, I Gave think. her, like, fucking splinters, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, shit like that is just... <sighs> yeah. I can't do it. <laughs> like, And there's two things about this scene in particular that piqued my interest. You can't make me. One, this is the scene where I recognize Joe Cole as one of the brothers from Peaky Blinders. I think it was the scene where he had Big Justin in a chokehold and the face he made. And I'm like, he looks so fucking familiar. And then the camera flashed to his face again. I'm like, that's John from Peaky Blinders. I fucking knew it. Like, he's got this really distinctive face. 
She's a Peaky Blinders fan, folks. Um, I wouldn't say a fan. Yeah, you are. You've seen all the seasons. No, actually, I haven't. Liar! No. I watched maybe three or four seasons, and then I stopped. And then what happened? You got tired? Eh, it kind of dragged. Like, you ever feel like when a show just goes on for too long, and then you get into the next season, and then you just feel like it's just dragging out at this point? Well, that's what happened. That's what I felt... That's what happened with that 70s show when they finally stopped, like the original one. Like after Aircliffe and everything, the show just like went to hell and it was just dragging itself to its death. Exactly. That's how I felt with Peaky Blinders after like the fourth or fifth. I can't remember. There's there's a quite a few of them. But also the one other part that really like didn't make sense to me. So Big Justin at this point is unconscious. Amber takes the box cutter that's been discarded on the floor and she cuts his stomach open and he bleeds out. Like, the guy's already on unconscious. You don't have, like, I don't know. There's just something, something about that feels like overkill to me, even though he's not dead. So, it's been a while since we watched this movie. So, my order of information may be wrong. But there's a scene where a body is dragged by a knife stuck in the head. And that was inspired by a prison documentary that Jeremy Saulnier saw on television that greatly disturbed him. Have you ever seen, like, old-timey documentary footage of, like, a sane asylums? Yeah, like uh, Alcatraz and shit like that? No, Alcatraz was in, like, a prison. prison. Yeah. Well, what this, are you talking about? I'm talking about, like, uh, Penhurst State Penitentiary. It, I mean, it's, it's a penitentiary, but it's, like, there's no, also a Penhurst... Asylum for the criminally insane. No, I haven't. Those are disturbing. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so to continue, the band tears up the floorboards and discovers a drug lab under the bar, but the only exit is locked from the outside. Arming themselves with improvised weapons, they attempt to fight their way out. Neo-Nazi Clark unleashes a fighting dog, which kills Tiger. Amber and Pat drive the dog away with a microphone feedback. Reese escapes through a window, only to be stabbed to death by Alan. Pat, Amber, and Sam retreat to the green room. So this was a pretty intense moment. So they try to make their way out because they're essentially from the green room at this point. There is no other way out. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you've got an army of skinheads and neo-Nazis manning the door to the green room, the bar area, and outside the venue itself. So you have to go through three layers of people just to get to the van and leave. Although at this point, they've slashed the van's tires and have doused it with kerosene in hopes to eventually murder the band members mm-hmm. to put their bodies in the van and then torch it. Gotcha. That was their whole plan. Really? Man. That, that was essentially their plan. Well, that plan if, didn't go if, too well. Well, yeah, obviously. Look what. Anyway, to, to, to I, get into a yeah. little bit... To get into a little bit of the authenticity aspect of this movie. Red bootlaces are mentioned a couple of times throughout the film. Once in reference to people who were allowed to know what was going on, and once when a character earns his or her red laces. In skinhead culture, red bootlaces indicate the wearer has shed blood for the skinhead movement. Racist skinheads will often randomly attack non-white people to quote-unquote, earn their laces. There's there's a heavy level of authenticity here where you really... It's hard hard to kind of, like, talk about it because, like, 
again, these, these people in a way have their own culture aspect. It's just riddled with bad shit. So to continue, Daniel arrives and Darcy sends him to kill the remaining survivors, claiming they murdered Emily, his girlfriend. However, he instead talks to them and Amber gives that worm murdered Emily after discovering she and Daniel were planning to lead the skinhead life. Darcy grows suspicious of Daniel and discovers the trunk of his car containing the belongings of Daniel and Emily, indicating that they are planning to escape. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, and I kind of didn't realize this when we watched the movie originally, he also discovers a baseball bat that Darcy had used to murder someone in the past and realizes that Daniel intends to blackmail Darcy to let them go by threatening to give it to the police. Daniel agrees to help them escape, but as they venture back out into the bar, he is shot dead by the bartender. Pat kills the bartender and the group takes his shotgun only to find themselves confronted by the full skinhead force. Sam mortally wounds Clark's dog with the shotgun before it kills her, and Sam is shot as she and Pat once again retreat to the green room. Hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about the screen room. Because it is the title of the movie, and for a good portion of this movie, it takes place in this green room. So, the green room itself was constructed on a film stage. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that little tidbit of information to me brought me back to, like, the bathroom scene from Saw. Because mm-hmm. a large part of that movie took place in one room. And that room itself was also built on a sound stage. Oh. Or like a film stage area. Yeah. And I say that because there's been a lot of promoting of this movie on social media. And there's a lot of behind the scenes clips on social media about Saw 10 that shows Tobin Bell in the bathroom scene. He's like, this is where it all began. And I'm like, yeah, it did. Anyway, do you have any thoughts you want to share before I move on? It's getting exciting. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Okay. It's cool. I mean, it's sad what as it goes on, like there's more and more people that were like such great characters are like dying. And they yeah. drop like flies. That's why I hate movies like that where the the good guy that was you thought was meant to survive, not not all of them are. Yeah, it's it, you're right. It does get a little bit more sad because you you're rooting for all of them to get out alive, especially like the ones that you really become attached to. Like I don't know for me, but, like, I was really rooting for Sam to get out of it alive more than anybody. And to see her get attacked by a dog and killed by a dog, it broke my heart in two different ways. Because, I was, like I said, I was rooting for her to survive it. But it's a, you know, it's killed by a dog. Does the dog way to die, go. too? Yeah, and unfortunately... That is sad. Unfortunately, another part of this movie consists of one of the members of this skinhead party is a dog trainer but he trains his dogs to kill which is a huge another huge issue it's a big no-no mm. and i don't partic- no no i don't particularly like it but there's another part in this movie where the dogs have like almost a human moment with their owner and i, I um, that's like towards the end i do remember that that but, part's sad but like again i'm rooting for tiger and reese 
and Sam, and they all die. I thought you were saying you were rooting for Tiger Army. I'm like, no, in this movie, no one of the one of the band members was named Tiger. Hmm. And at this, because at this point, you already get to know all of them and see them work together and care about each other, like as a band member that, or as a band group. As a as a band, they all care about each other. They're like, and they're traveling together. Yeah, they're more than just friends. They're like brotherhood. Right. So, in a way. You're knowing them as they go through this journey, like from the from the moment they're like you see them touring together in a van, to the to to now, like most of them are gone. Pat is the only surviving member of this band, and it's kind of sad that he has to tough it out alone with a woman he barely knows. But she is just as much in a sticky situation as they are. Like she's part of this whole thing, essentially. Yeah. To continue. With the sun rising soon, Darcy has most of the skinheads disperse, taking Clark and Alan with him to stage the band's deaths to make it look as if they were killed while trespassing on his property. Mm-hmm. Gabe prepares to clean up the bar while Jonathan and Kyle are dispatched with another dog to finish off Pat and Amber, who formulate a plan for a last stand. They again use microphone feedback to scare off the dog before Pat lures Jonathan into the drug lab. As Kyle stands watch in the green room, Amber emerges from under the cushions of the couch and ambushes him, cutting his throat with the box cutter. Pat and Jonathan fight and Amber sneaks up and shoots Jonathan in the head. Gabe enters the green room to find his companions dead and surrenders to Pat and Amber. And another interesting fun fact, talking about the dogs in particular, they had an elaborate dog puppet built, but only ended up using it in one insert shot at around the 53 minute 40 second mark. The initial idea was that they need the puppet for the sequence where one attacks Amber's leg until it's run off by the microphone feedback Mm. and pummeling. Uh, but they accomplished the scene with real dogs, stunt performers, and Poots herself. Don't worry, it was a foam microphone stand. Well, that's good. Yeah. So no dogs were really harmed in the making of this. I mean, probably their ears, if they use, like, real oh. microphone mi- yeah, microphone feedback oh. to shoo them away. Poor dog. Not Nothing microphone feedback sounds are really piercing for the eardrums. Like yeah. I hate loud noises, but whenever that happens, I just want to like bolt right out of the fucking venue. Yeah. I'm like a dog that way. Like if so I you're, so you're a puppy, then okay. Shut up. <laughs> I heard <laughs> that Lily, noise. Lily made a noise when he said that, and I'm like, you're so mean to her and me. No, anyway. Not. Wow. <laughs> to continue. Holding Gabe at gunpoint. They trek through the woods. As they near Darcy's house, Amber and Pat decide to go after him, while Gabe goes to a nearby farm to call the authorities. Pat and Amber confront Darcy, killing Clark and Alan. In fleeing, Darcy draws Big Justin's pistol, but is shot dead. Their ammunition gone, Pat and Amber sit on the side of the road, Alarmed at the return of Clark's dog, they watch it lay beside his body mournfully and leave it alone. Energy spent, they wait for the police. And that's the moment that I talk about with the dog where it has this almost like human side to it. It managed, I think they had it locked up in a room somewhere at the bar. Mm -hmm. And it managed to get out and run away home. Mm -hmm. 
And he made it all the way back to, was it Clark's house? Only to find Clark dead. And he whimpers about it. Yeah, like he, he nudges his side and he lays on the ground next to him. Like, that's sad. Okay. Yeah. That is sad. So most viewers feel the answer to Pat's Desert Island Band is evident to the cut of a Creedence Clearwater revival track at the very end. But it's apparently not the case. And I, I, again, this is where I can't stand the director. But the director, being coy about it, says that there are two correct answers. Quote, one that makes perfect sense given the context of the movie and how everything plays out. And there's another that is something I whispered to Anton Yelchin on set that only he and I know. Solnir's own is Black Sabbath. Because there's this... There's this question that's asked of them in the beginning, and it's actually during this radio, like this local radio station interview. And he asks them all, if you had to pick, like if you were stuck on, if you were stranded on a desert island, what band would you listen to? You could only pick one. And Sam, Reese, and Tiger gave all their answers. And then... What'd they say? I can't remember. Oh. We watched this movie like almost a year ago. Yeah. I don't remember. Anyway. <laughs> But I know Anton Yelchin's character, Pat, throughout the entire movie, keeps saying, I think I know what my Desert Island band's going to be. And I'm like, dude, nobody cares about this. People are dying, man. He gets his arm slashed by a fucking box cutter. He's like, I know what my Desert Island band's going to be. Nobody cares in this moment, Pat. Get get it together. (laughs) I feel like, then again, that would be something I would say if I got hurt and, like, before I die, I would say, like, the same thing. Like, I know what my desert band would be. What would your desert island band be if you had to pick one? That's a tough question because it just depends on my mood and the day because usually it's, when it's a different day, it's like I have one more than one band because if I just listen to one band, like, all my life, it's going to, like... But rot, if you rot had, my brain. But if you had to pick one, that's the per, that's the gist of the question. <sighs> I think I got one. Who? Beach Boys. Yeah, if I was on a desert island beach, yeah, maybe where there's water, yeah, maybe. But no, probably with me, if I had their whole discography and I listened to them all the way till I till I die, would definitely be the Ramones. Okay, so that would be your definite answer because I was guessing Beach Boys for you. I like my my last goodbyes. Like seeing the the sky would while listening to like God only knows or Don't Worry Baby would be like the most epic thing in my life. Mm-hmm. But I feel like probably listening to the Ramones until I'm probably like dead and buried on a desert island type of shit. Yeah, maybe. Uh, what about you? What about you? What's your band? I was just about to say. Disturb. No. <laughs> Although, if you had asked me when I was 17, I probably would have said, yeah, disturbed, but... Ugh, I don't like 17-year-old you. 17-year-old you doesn't like your 21-year-old ass either. What the fuck is that? Wait, you never even knew what I was like when I was 21. I was probably the coolest guy that you ever met. Be like, well, I'm not that cool. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's the age gap we're at. I'm a dweeb. <laughs> Where do you think you're going? Hey. He's like, you're not going downstairs by he's, yourself. He's like, I'm going downstairs. Well, who do you think you're fooling? Wait, Lily goes downstairs by herself. Why can't he? He never goes downstairs by himself. We're talking about Bowie, by the way. Our attention has shifted. ADHD <laughs> style. Anyway. Blaming on my ADHD. Bowie never leaves 
my side ever. No matter how much I try to shake him, he always is like up my ass. Hey. What? ADHD. Calm down. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> to see him walk out of the room and stand at the top of the stairs just like looking. I'm like, where do you think you're going? You're not fooling anybody. You're going to turn a little butt around. You're going to get back in this room because oh, you're not going anywhere. I thought you said you're going to turn your butter around. I'm like, what? Like, anyway, don't change the subject. What would be your desert van? It's really a toss up. Like you said, it depends on what I'm in the mood for right now. And plus, it's kind of tough for a person to say their answer because they have more than one band exactly. that they like. Exactly. And like you said, you, you, you have to pick a band or musician that... That's discography that you can listen to over and over and over again. It has to be the entirety of their discography. It can't just be one specific album. So for me, I feel like Pink. Really? It would be Pink. <laughs> it would be Pink. Oh my god, I just, I just literally choked us there. Because here's the thing. I've been listening to Pink... For a long fucking... Like, even when, like, her debut single came out, and I was like... Back in 2000? Yeah. You were, like, six. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But six-year-old me was filled with fucking mm. angst, Oh, no, okay? no, 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 no. You weren't six. You were seven, actually. Seven, eight, nine. Because you were born in 93. So you were seven when her first single came out back in 2000. Yeah, I think it was There You Go, right? Yeah, There You Go. Like, yeah. All right, so you're the Ramones, and I'm Pink. Yep. Okay. Question. Do you remember the movie poster? Of which one? Of Green Room? Did it have Ramones on it? No. Which movie poster? For Green Room. Oh, yeah. For um, the movie. For oh, the movie Green Room. I thought you were talking about there was like a ban on the poster in the movie. No. I don't know. what. But do you remember what it looked like? I don't know what it looked like. Here, pull up a picture of the Green Room movie poster because I have a little fun fact in here and I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to see if you can get it right. Okay. Poster. Does that poster look familiar to you? Looks like Saw. No. no. Oh, I know what that is. That's the cover to London Calling by The Clash. See, I'm so but, glad. But there's a difference. There's a difference I know, because I know. he's turned to the side. When Joe Strummer hits his guitar and the poster, he's more you see his full body straight. This time, this side, he's on his like right. What was the name? London Calling by the Clash. No, but what was the name of the musician you said? Joe Strummer. Wrong. Joe fucking Strummer from the Clash. The stance of the machete wielder in the green room poster references you... the Clash's London Calling oh, wait, album cover. Mick Jones, are you no, talking about? Right? With bassist Paul Simon. You fucking smashing his bass on stage. It's not Paul Simon. It's Paul Simone. Wait, it's not even Simone. It's Simonin. What? You. Anyway. It's, yeah, it's Paul Simon. So, yes, it is, it is him. Okay, because he, yeah, that's right, because he hits it with his bass. Right. Yeah, so it's either one. It doesn't fucking matter. All right. He hit it more straight. I was looking for London Calling by The Clash anyway, because that's what, that's what the poster was referencing. And then in the very background right here, the person that's running off the stage right there, that's Joe Strummer running off the stage. Yes. Yep. This is after a show they did, so they must have had, like, a really, like, by the end of the show, he just wanted to break his shit. But that is all my notes for Green Room. What'd you think, honey? I love the fucking movie. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, if they can have a sequel called The Red Room, that'd be great, but they don't. You know, it's interesting because 
like I said, before the Green Room, the director had directed another movie prior called Blue Ruin. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people had assumed that the director purpose, purposefully made these movies to do like a color theme film series. They're not affiliated with each other in either way. Yeah. Except for Macon Blair, who played roles in both movies. But anyway, that's besides the point. Okay. I like that you pointed that out. Well, of course. This movie is a horror movie, but like a horror thriller, but it's also a punk rock movie. I also just... So, if you're going to like tribute it, especially with punk rock, you might as well make the cover like a tribute to that. So, that's why they chose the, the cover to London Calling to make that like... I also like testing your knowledge on punk stuff. Yeah, and how you, and yeah. I'm happy for you. Like I said, I'm so happy that you guessed it. Yeah, well, I know my shit. I've been, I've been. I'm not re- saying you didn't. I know. I re- I've been researching music since I was like seven or eight. Like I was that kid on the playground that would read music encyclopedias. Mm-hmm. Like I was that kid. Yeah. And literally, p- people like didn't understand how much, like so much knowledge I knew. They're like, "How do you fucking know that? How old are you?" Like. Yeah. I mean, I was 10 years old listening to Elvis Costello's Next Year's Model. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to that on my grandfather's old, like, radio that he had. And I was listening to on that thing. And it was just fucking nuts. Like, listening to that record, I listened to it every day when I first got it for Christmas. So, yeah. But the point is, mm-hmm. I love music. I enjoy music. I live it. I breathe it. I eat it. And I drink it. Mm-hmm. All the like music itself, like the culture, even bad music, you know, like it's out there, but it's music. Okay. And but the music that I grew up uh, loving and cherishing, especially punk rock, because mm-hmm. it was always there for me. It understand me as a young fucking weird kid. <laughs> like I was that weird fucking kid, and especially my parents breaking up and everything. Like it fueled what I needed. You know, that's why I loved bands like. The Misfits and, like, the Ramones and, like, Black Flag and all that stuff. And what got me into going to other holes. Other Mm -hmm. holes of different subgenres of punk rock. Like, there's Riot Girl, there's Ska, there's Hardcore, there's there's Psychobilly. There's, like, basically skate punk, pop punk. Like, every every type of genre you could think of, I've listened to. You know, anarchy punk. Like, I've listened to all types of shit. And literally, it's it's a universal sound. You know, it's not only just a sound, but it's a statement. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about punk rock, because it gives people that free will, that, you know, something for them can do relate to. Yeah. And that's why I've always loved punk rock music. And that's why I appreciate movies like this, like Green Room. I mean, not only this, but back in the 80s, when they were horror movies, there were so many punk rockers in horror films mm-hmm. you know and like not only that there were so many films with punk rockers in it whether they were just really cheesy or they were real and i just love that dead kennedy's nazi punks fuck off was actually part of this film as it should so green room was good right we yes. all liked it we all loved it Man, minus was, minus the skinhead thing i was really going hard into my in, into my thing that i was saying earlier i was just like i, I did not give a fuck i was just going deep in because right. this is the type of shit I love. So I'm just glad they made a movie like this. I mean, I'm in a punk band, for Christ's sakes. A band that fused with different sounds. But yeah, other than that, you have anything else? Any uh, thoughts? Something? No? My final thought 
on Green Room. It wasn't my favorite movie, but it was pretty good. The director sounds insufferable, but he made a pretty good movie with mm-hmm. a pretty unique cast. Yeah, at the end of the day, we got this. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, we got this movie, and I'm actually kind of glad this movie exists. Mm-hmm. It does, because you don't have a movie like like this. All right. You know, and I just feel like they should have more of that. I mean, they haven't had stuff like this since the 80s. Yeah. So it's cool that they finally came out with something fresh like this. Mm-hmm. So if they can come out with another one like this, like something a little different, I'd, I'd be down for it. I'd, I'd watch it. Yeah. So, question. Oh, God. What are we going to talk about next week? Man, you're just the one that just shoves right into things. Like, you know, I'm just like, honey, go for the ride. Just, like, just take a cruise, and then once we get there, we know where we're going. Because you and I are not exactly experts when it... Like I said, we're never experts when when it comes to things like these. We're just people who love watching movies, especially horror films, and we like to talk about them. But we also want to remain... And solidarity and respectful to the writers and actor strike. So we want to make sure that we're not covering anything affiliated by AMPTP. Which is why when we when we discuss what movies we're going to talk about, I always look up to see, okay, has there been any AMPTP affiliate that has touched these movies? And unfortunately, there's there is no list of AMPTP affiliates posted anywhere on the internet. I mean, if, even if you look up, you know, what production companies are affiliated with AMPTP, you just get this the generic list of like, oh, well, you've got Disney, you've got Comcast, you have Netflix, and da-da-da. And it's like, you don't really get a more defined list of companies to, you, you might want to like avoid. Because... Like I said about, like, with Saw, I think Saw is a Lionsgate or a New Line Cinema, right? I think so. And I don't know if those companies are affiliated. I've heard Lionsgate isn't. It makes me wonder if we can talk about a certain Lionsgate film that was produced some time ago. But I also want to make sure that other production companies that have touched... What about the movie company Summit? You know what I'm talking about? I know Summit... Again, that's another one I have to look up to be sure before I go into any movies produced or distributed by them. So I want to try to really do this right when it comes to this the, the strike policies. And I want to make sure that we're not, again, we're not scabbing. We're not hurting the strikers in any way. Give them a surprise. Give them okay. something to be excited about. Don't just, like, give them spoilers. This has actually been a... Good, good um, talk. Yeah, it's a bit of fun. Yeah, Sorry, I do, I'm, I'm I, always yawning at the end of these episodes. Well, yeah, because you do to, a lot of talking and you get tired. Oh, and you're not exhausting yourself? Mm, anyway. I, I am an exhausting person, but no. But yes, but thank you all for listening. I'm glad you guys enjoyed this episode and we will guys, and we will keep you guys posted, posted about new episodes mm-hmm. and when we come up with stuff and everything. And we'll surprise you next week with what we're going to do. Yep. All right. Until then, this has been the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Leah. Signing off saying, Nazi punks, Nazi punks, Nazi punks, fuck off!
As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.